This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Today's guest on Music Buzz Podcast is Frank Hannon from Tesla, also joined by co-host Dane Clark. How's it going, Dane? Great, Andy. How are you doing today? I'm good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going well, thank you, Andrew. Good, good. Today we're joined by singer, songwriter, producer, and world-renowned guitarist Frank Hannon. Frank is a founding member of the band Tesla. He also hosts a podcast of his own called The Far Out Podcast and has released several solo albums and songs and continually helps up-and-coming bands via Frank Hannon Productions. Aside from music, Frank is passionate about horses and also spending time with his family. So we're going to get into uh, several different things with Frank, but uh, just want to say thanks to you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Um, listening to everything you just said, um, I think I might be certifiably crazy. <laughs> Aren't we all? Doing too much stuff, man. <laughs> well, we're in the music business, man. <laughs> That's called being in the biz, right? Uh, either that or called being a workaholic or just being nuts and just trying to do too much. But no, I've had a, I've had a, I've had a, a fun life, man. I've kept super, super busy. Um, I will say that in that order that you, you, you listed me as a singer and uh, I don't know so much about that. <laughs> okay. Okay. But well, I am a know. guitar player. I'm a guitar player. Guy. I know that. I got to tell you this. I wanted to start our show off with this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw you in Anderson, Indiana, my hometown. You played at the Paramount Theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. And I've got to tell you, it was a killer show. The production was great. I especially liked the new single, Cold Blue Steel, which is I've seen the video since then. It's great. The cover of Zeppelin's Thank You really got to me. And my wife's still up there singing What You Give two weeks later, of course. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks. What really impressed me about you guys was you played in my hometown theater, and it was sold out, but you played that theater like it was Carnegie Hall. You had the crowd on their feet through the entire concert. You guys gave 100% of what you had. You hammered it, and that's what great bands do. So God bless you, and please keep doing it. It was a fantastic show, man. Well, gosh, thank you very much, man. Uh it was a magic night. I do remember it um, specifically because that, that theater was gorgeous. Yeah. And um, that area of the country has always been really good to us. You know, Indiana, uh, Iowa, uh, just the whole Midwest, Nebraska, you know, obviously Chicago, Milwaukee, that whole Midwest area is where we paid our dues uh, as a band in the 80s um, as a support band. You know, we built our career uh mainly by supporting other bands a lot as a young group but 
Sure. The most rewarding part of everything what you just said is that your wife is still singing what you give. And as a songwriter, to have a song still affect people this this many years later uh, is really the most rewarding part of it. So uh, I'm really glad that uh, we're still doing it. And uh, thank you so much for for what you said, man. It's cool. That, That was a good gig. I do remember that one specifically. It was fabulous. Why didn't you call me? I didn't know he was in town. <laughs> well, I guess I should have. Hugh, I thought you lived in Canada. Am I mistaken? Are you a Canadian guy? Or I'm Canadian, but I lived in L.A. for 16 years. Didn't expect to, but I ended up out there for 16 years. Just after I moved back to uh, Indiana, after the earthquake in 94, I got a call from Kaladner's office saying we got to go up and see Tesla. And I said, well, I'm at my studio in Indiana. I didn't tell him I'd shut down my L.A. uh, studio out of pure fear of the next earthquake. So, um, yeah, when I told him I was in in Indiana, they said, that's fine. Fly out and meet us. So these were back in the days when we had to meet each other before Internet. This is long before we had cell phones and Zoom meetings and stuff like this, you know. Yep. It's funny, man, when I think about technology and how much different it is now in every aspect. I mean, we used to have to FedEx each other or send samples of the artwork. We didn't even have email back then, I don't think, man. It hadn't really come that far yet, you know. But speaking of Hugh, I I remember that exactly. And I was so glad that you came in at that time uh, for that album because that was a very strange period for Tesla um, uh, making that album. We were going through a lot of uh, a lot of hard times and ups and downs at that point. And we were joking around. We couldn't think of an album title. So we were joking around out of frustration and blurted out the words bust a nut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was a joke. And our manager ran with it. He insisted this is the album title, Bust a Nut. It's genius. And we were like, no way. But Hugh came to the table and salvaged it and saved it and made it actually really cool and created a nut-busting machine for the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. <laughs> it's either that or a banana hammock. And I, I just I didn't think hernias had any business on your front cover. So, um. <laughs> Can we get a right? mock-up of that version? That would just, just for shits and giggles. <laughs> well, anyway, so he uh, Hugh came up. I don't know if you, um, Andy, or you guys uh, – You'll have to look at it a little bit closer. The Busted Nut album cover. It's really freaking cool. It's like this machine that's like processing walnuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, yeah I, I remember, remember it. Mm-hmm. It's a Absolutely. pretty over-the-top machine for the simple task of cracking nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can be done simpler ways. but Yeah. But it certainly made the album title a lot cooler and... Um, Oh, thanks. Made it easier for us to, to live with because seriously, we were just joking around out of frustration about calling the album Busted Nut. But at that point in our career, we were, um, it, that was a very trying time. I mean, the 90s had came in. Uh, we had been on the road for a good, well, since 86 solid. So a good eight years, not including the, the years that it took before we got our deal without taking a break. So we were pretty uh, messed up at that period of time. <laughs> How many albums did you do with Geffen? 
We did, let's see, Mechanical Resonance, Radio Controversy, Psychotic Supper, Bust a Nut, four studio albums. And then we did the one live album, which was an acoustic, uh, live acoustic, five-man acoustic jam that had signs on it. Mm -hmm. That was on Geffen as well, but it was a separate little live deal that we did. And then they did a Times Making Changes Greatest Hits and a couple other things like that. So that live album is not to be confused with the uh, five band London Jam, which you just did recently, didn't you? Right. That was sort of a, a, a celebration, uh, 30th anniversary uh, revisiting of it. Yeah. Uh, which was really cool because uh, we got to step foot into Abbey Road Studio. Uh, which was really a, nice. uh, a trip. Have you have you been there, Hugh? I have been there, not to work, but certainly to visit some people that I know work there. And I love your cover of "We Can Work It Out." Oh, thanks, man. That one is a. It's one of those songs. You know, some songs. Um, I, I read this. Johnny Cash uh, said this that if you can sing a cover song and it comes out really easy and naturally, then it's meant to be. But if you've got to really fight hard to, to work on a cover, then skip past it. And We Can Work It Out was one of those songs that really came easy to us. I love that song, too. Thanks, yeah, man. Classic. When you were at Abbey Road, was that when you were like visiting Pink Floyd or something cool like that? What were you doing? Who were you visiting? That was Storm's job. <laughs> ah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, was, work, I was working with a band. Um, what were they called? Damn it. Um, Cynic UK was the band. Yeah. Ah, if those walls could talk, man, it's, oh, I mean, yeah. John Lennon's piano was in there, uh, you know, oh, man. It, the, the, the mixing console that Dark Side of the Moon was recorded on. I mean, it was just really wow. an epic experience. Hallowed ground for sure. No question. That's the way you feel when you're in there. Yeah. Well, what do I see on your wall back there? Does that say Abbey Road? Am I seeing something on your wall? Yeah, that's stolen from London. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Weighs a ton. Did you guys get your picture walking across the road? I was there with Mellencamp a few times and, of course, always had to do the <laughs> oh yeah Abbey Road cover thing, you know. <laughs> I took my shoes off. I was Paul. Yes. Good choice, man. Paul's. I think Paul might be my favorite Beatle. John was amazing, too. Yeah, I have to say. Oh, they all were amazing, but yeah. Hey, okay, Ringo's favorite. my favorite. He was the drummer, so. Yeah, well, Paul is so prolific, and so, yeah, I mean, Anybody that could write that range of music from Eleanor Rigby yesterday all the way through to Bathroom Window from Polythene Pam, you know. Mm -hmm. And do it so naturally, like effortlessly. Like he probably yeah. wrote those songs in, in a matter of five minutes. They just probably just flowed right out of him. Yeah. yeah no That's question. a good segue into my next kind of a question, I guess. But Frank, you and I met several years ago in Indianapolis. You guys were out with uh, Def Leppard, and we, you and I were talking about just Tesla and kind of longevity, I think. And you had made reference at that time, I think you had said, you know, the one thing that, that Tesla did well was from a songwriting perspective, he wrote about things that matter and uh, that stand the test of time. And I think you were kind of inferring, you know, there's some certain bands in a certain generation that, you know, wrote about chicks and stuff like that, which is fine. But Tesla has longevity because of, like you mentioned, uh, Dane, you talk about your wife still singing that, that song two weeks mm -hmm. later. Can you talk a little bit about just, you know, these songs still still have momentum for the not just the fans, but just have for so many years? Well, I, I would probably want to credit a lot of that to our singer, Jeff Keith. The guy is really um, 
such a real person with a lot of heart and he's very sensitive to how people perceive him, you know, in a way where he wants to be truly real from the heart. And like, he would be embarrassed a lot of times. Like I would write some lyrics or something and give it to him and he would not want to sing it because it just didn't feel good to him, you know? So thank goodness he took charge of his messages and we made a, a collective agreement together that we always wanted to try to keep our songs positive and like write songs that maybe would lyrically help somebody like the song love song you know it's talking about love is all around you and and don't you worry pretty darling i'll still be there as your friend anytime you need a friend just give me a call on the phone kind of encouragement kind of stuff in our songs like another song we have is called hang tough you know, you took a shot to the chin. It, it looks like you can't win, but you got to hang tough. And so we tried to always keep our songs in that vein. And especially with Jeff Keith being the singer, he was real adamant about every single word that came out being that he could stand behind, you know. So sure. I want to credit Jeff Keith, man, for Tesla's lyrics and stuff, because uh he was really, sometimes it was really frustrating because we'd have to wait forever for him to finish a song. And as a musician, you know, in the band, we're just like, come on, man, let's get this done already. But he was real meticulous about his lyrics. And I think that's what uh, separated us a little bit from some of the other 80s bands where maybe the, the 80s, some of the 80s music was kind of cheesy at times, you know. I'm not naming any names because I'm a fan of all of it. You're right about that. A lot of form over content back there. A lot of really good productions, but pretty vacuous lyric content. You're right about that. Yeah. Why, to your comment earlier, that's why I'm always a, such a big fan of Lennon because he was special when it came to words. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, that even goes through the today's songs. Like Cold Blue Steel, uh, Dane mentioned that song. Really great new song, man. Hey, thanks, man. And that was a challenge. The song Cold Blue Steel was a challenge to keep it fair-minded. You know, when you touch on a subject matter that's that can trigger both sides of the fence on opinions, you know, gun yeah. violence versus uh, defunding the police or whatever these issues are, we tried to write a song that wasn't biased in any direction, but just kind of saying about it from an observer's point of view and asks the question, what's really to blame? Is it the cold blue steel that's to blame or is it the evil intentions that people have? And so, again, Jeff and I both co-wrote that together carefully with the lyrics to, to try to sing about a subject that wasn't biased and not sing it in a preachy kind of way. So I'm really proud of that song, man. I'm glad you like it. And musically, it rocks. And uh, it's the first track that we produce ourselves in the studio. So it's, it's really raw and not overdone. But I'm glad you guys like it. The crowd loved it the night that I saw you guys, too. It went over great. Yeah, the fans have been receptive to it. Yeah. You know, and um, so that's always good when you're an old band like us where you put some out new and uh, they like it a lot of times that's when they go to the loo <laughs> yeah right 
It's not a hit. I'm not listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One area I did want to ask you about, Frank, is uh, you've always been working with a lot of young and up and coming bands. Is that just something you're passionate about? Or, you know, tell us a little bit more about why you do that. Well, the real passion lies in recording and writing songs. When I was approached by this 18-year-old singer a couple of years ago who had these really cool song ideas and was tremendously talented. It's, it's fun to capture, you know, a talent like that in the studio as a producer and an engineer. So uh, that's where the fun is, is actually recording these kids that have this talent and they, they can just sing it and belt it out in one take and you can write songs together and collaborate. And also, you know, having made so many mistakes in my life, being able to possibly mentor them and help them move along faster without making some of the same mistakes. You know, I, I advise them, but they don't listen half the time. And right now at this point, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's getting a little bit irritating you know, working with these young guys because they're not listening. They're, they're wanting to go off and do their own thing. So that's cool too, you know. They're like little birds, man. They want to go fly, fly the nest and see how far they can get. Right. The fun part about it is working with such young guys that have a natural talent. Uh, like this kid I'm working with, JT Lux. We recorded and developed 12 songs and put out an album called Taken by Moonlight. And this kid went from being 16 years old, not able to sing a, anything, to 20 years old and he can sing and play and he's just got such a great natural gift are you working in your own studio at home yeah we have a rehearsal studio that's about a mile away and we go there and we do a lot of the rehearsing and pre-production and the planning and then they come over to my house and i have a studio in my attic in my garage that we record and mix in and my wife you had mentioned you had mentioned horses earlier. We have horses here and I was teaching them how to shovel horse shit and how to rake and do some <laughs> manual labor. A lot of these kids today don't know how to do any manual labor. Right. Exactly. Shoveling horse shit, man. That's an honest job right there now. No shit. Yeah. You got to <laughs> shovel it, put it in the wheelbarrow. You got to go pile it up. That's right. So what I was doing with these kids is they'd come to my house at nine in the morning and rake leaves and shovel horse shit and clean up the, the barn until noon. And then we'd go in my studio after they get cleaned up at, from one to six at night and trade time. So I was trading them time for studio time. Oh, there you go. That's brilliant. The barter system. That's what you need to do, Dane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you want to be a rock star, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Bring your shovel. And I've got a great photograph of the guys in Red Voodoo one of the jobs I made them do was pulling star thistle. You guys know what star thistle is? It's yeah. Brutal. Oh, yeah. So I had these kids out there for three hours pulling star thistle by hand. <laughs> well, I hope they had some heavy duty gloves. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was a great learning experience for them, man. It was like boot camp. I'm having visions of like Frank is like the Mr. Miyagi of uh, rock bands, you know, like uh, <laughs> you got to yeah. come in and earn it, you know. <laughs> and the record came out great. It's called Bring It Back. If you guys get a chance to listen to Red Voodoo. Yeah, check it out. Red Voodoo is named after the Sammy Hagar song. Oh, yeah. Sammy oh. Hagar is a fan of the band as well. In fact, I sent Sammy a picture of the kids put, 
pulling the star thistle weeds and he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and he has now hired them to go down to Cabo Wabo and perform at their club there. Oh, nice. nice. Well, I wonder what chores he's got for yeah, them. Exactly. <laughs> we did a cover of Rock and Roll Christmas, uh, which is the Rock and Roll Weekend. It's a Sammy Hagar song. We remade it. And uh, cool. so Sammy's really behind the band. And I think he's really behind them because he sees that they're willing to pull weeds and shovel horseshit to make an album. <laughs> yeah, man. That says something about some character, though, you know? Well, a few years ago, Frank, and I, I, I'm sure you remember, you were in Indiana. I, pick, I actually picked you up. You came and you recorded at Doug Henthorne's studio in Indy with the East Hills. And I'll never forget it because you walked down the basement with just your guitar. And you just, it wasn't that you took over the, the room, but you, you, just had a, you just had it in your hand. And it was so cool to watch you work. Like you could just see, you were just like a sponge for everything and kind of do this, do that. And, and the song turned out really, really cool. But it was, it was fun to watch that in action. Oh, thanks, man. You know, I thought, Andy, I thought, I thought that was ringing a bell when I saw your name on, the, on the, uh, the appointment today. That was a great time, man. What a great bunch of guys. And that song was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that song. I don't know if I ever told you, but Neil Doty from REO played... Uh, piano on that on the final version of that song originally uh, Ian McLagan was supposed to play on that song um, and during the process of getting you on the song and, and whatever Ian had passed but that whole song was just like it was it was it was a process and it was really cool that day just to kind of see it all come to life so that was awesome yeah that was a great time thanks for having me out for that and uh, give those guys my best I really enjoyed that and yeah, um, I know. I'm going to have to dig that, that recording up and listen to that again because it was a great time. Yeah, Holiday Women is the name of the song, The East Hills. It's on the- That's right, The East Hills, yep. And we were down in the basement jamming. and. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, so that whole process, like you're talking about, it's a process. And uh, you guys did that song. And was that part of a whole album? Yeah, it was on an album, yep. So you know the process of putting that together is not easy to do. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a oh. lot of coordinating... The hardest part about being in a band is getting everybody on the same page and coordinating everything. Mm. Right? Sure. Yeah. No question about it. Absolutely. So coordinating these kids and these teenagers to get up here and complete this album was quite the task. It's called Bring It Back. It really rocks. The kids are really natural. Uh, just everything you hear on it is recorded live in one or two takes at the most. And there's some really great songs on it. So I'm really proud of the album. It's called Bring It Back by Red Voodoo. We'll check it out. We're yeah. definitely going to check it out. So I got a question for you. Have you jammed with your father-in-law? Yes, I, I, I have had some fun times with him. The first time I met Dickie was 20 years ago when I first started dating Christy when we first met. And we flew down to Las Vegas and uh, we had a room there at Caesars and he was he was a special guest guitar player for a band called Mo. They had hired him. They're a jam band. Yeah. And they had hired him. And this was re right after he had just left the Almond Brothers. And uh, we uh, jammed in the hotel room. And I was a nervous wreck. Understandably. He was so cool and friendly. And he, he gives me like a little Charlie horse on the shoulder. Hey, how come you're not singing, man? Cause he would sing and yodel and play guitar and play all these songs. And then he'd hand me the guitar and I would just like pick on it a little bit. But uh, he really inspired me to, to try to become more of a singer. 
because, you know, even in the Almond Brothers, he was a lead singer. He sang Ramblin' Man. He sang Blue Sky. He sang some of their biggest hits. Oh, yeah. He certainly did. Yeah. On your website, what's the video that goes to your home page there that you're singing? Um, I'd have to check and see. It's probably outdated now, but it might be a song called Ride Strong. Yeah, that's it. Well, you sound great on there. Well, thanks, buddy. It's yeah. It's been a... Singing is a weird thing. It takes a lot of confidence to be able to hear your own voice and shape it in a way that you like it. And it's been a tough battle for me to get confident at it. But Dickie Betts gave me some confidence uh, and support and, and encouraged me to do it. I had the, the wonderful uh, occasion to meet George Martin. He was explaining to me how, while Paul had range and a, a different kind of control with his voice, John didn't like his voice and George loved the passion and, and the soul of John's voice. And he could hear that as a producer, but John like Elton John didn't like their own voices at first. It took time for them to come around to the fact that they had to sing to get their songs to work. And that's the other thing. Songs that you write are going to sound best with you singing them. I think it's true. Just like what I was talking about with Jeff Keith, uh, Tesla's singer, the songs that he writes, he's, he, it sounds best when he sings them and, uh, getting that emotion out that the singer is trying to convey. I've learned a lot trying to learn how to sing and how important it is for a singer to feel comfortable uh, with what's coming out lyrically. Well, don't underestimate yourself because you sound great on the tune that I heard. And I got a question before it slips my mind. When you guys were playing live the other night during your guitar solo, was that a theremin or what was that stick? Yeah, that's a that's a theremin. It's a basically a, a freaking uh, glorified noisemaker. <laughs> yeah, that was cool though. It's a cool thing, man. It's a little gadget that. Uh, yeah, it works. The song is Edison's Medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the song is about you know Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla, and it has that whole right sci-fi kind of sound to it. So I added that in there. Yeah, very cool. But getting back to Dickie Betts really quick. Um, there was a couple gigs in San Francisco where I sat in with him and there was a gig in Reno. Uh, we drove up to Oregon and I jammed with him on a song called Southbound. And uh, he's been oh, yeah. very gracious to me. He's been such a, a great father-in-law and a great friend to me. And he's still uh, hanging in there, man. He's, he's at home. Uh, he's retired now. He had a couple uh, setbacks where he fell down and hit his head and had to have some surgery and he suffered a mild stroke there but he's still 100 percent uh funny and cracking jokes and fun to hang around with and uh we're actually moving out there to sarasota florida this year oh, to wow. be closer to him and my wife is is uh really close with him and as well as i am and so we're moving out to sarasota to be closer with him now and uh it's really great you know he tells some funny stories i'll tell you what about the time where he was hanging out with John Belushi or Jerry Garcia or Don Johnson. When he gets on a roll telling stories, man, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to sit there and listen I'll to bet, him. Man. That's got to be fabulous. Where are you and your horses now? We're still somewhere between Bakersfield and San Francisco, Hugh. <laughs> That's a big move, man. Are you going to have the room for the horses down in the Sarasota area? Yes, we got really lucky. We found a 12-acre lot there that has nothing on it. So we're in the process of building some fences and a barn, and we'll be trucking them out there in our trailer, probably three at a time, and it'll take a couple trips. So you're going to build a new house there? 
eventually. We're going to live in the barn, though, first. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. You got to find some local kids <laughs> that have a band that's going to shovel the shit. <laughs> in Florida, right? I was going to say, you better that's call right. Red Voodoo and get them yeah. down there. <laughs> get them to work. Yeah, no kidding, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yep. So, uh, and that's the thing. Dickie loves horses. You know, he's, my wife uh, does a competition and uh, she's won a world championship on her horses uh, a few years ago. And Dickie just loves that. So, wow. you know, he's, he's helped us with the horses and helped her get what she needs with the horses. So we're really excited to get the horses out to Florida so he can, you know, spend his retirement age out there with us and, and riding and enjoying that with her, you know? So that's, that's great. That's what we're trying to do. That's great. Man. That's awesome. That's really great. And you yeah. get to hear all those stories too. Yeah. Fantastic, man. I'll tell you a funny story that Dickie told me. Uh, sometime in the early 70s, the Almond Brothers had played at Madison Square Garden. And he had heard that Muddy Waters was jamming at a blues club down in the village. So after the show, he jumps in a car and he's still wearing his fancy clothes that he was wearing on stage and everything. And he goes to a club down there to sit in with Muddy Waters. And he's feeling really, you know, frisky and 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 high and mighty, you know, because he just got off stage or whatever, feeling good. He gets on stage. They invite him to jam with with uh, Muddy Waters. He gets on stage and uh, apparently his guitar is too loud and he starts playing too many licks. And the bass player didn't like what he was doing and took the bass and whacked him upside the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> whoops wow. and he turned around and said what are you doing it? what'd you do that for and he said because you're playing too many notes man <laughs> and he said he had a he said he had a his head was bleeding all over his velvet clothes that he had just worn at madison square garden but he thought it was the greatest thing because right he got put in his place by muddy waters bass player <laughs> wow he sure did huh man he got whacked upside the head by a bass damn yeah you would have thought he could have just told him, you know? I bet he slowed those chops way down after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, that's classic. Awesome. Frank, I really appreciate the time you gave us today. Boy, no kidding. Hey, it's been my pleasure, man, and I hope I didn't talk too much. I get on a roll, oh, and I really enjoyed doing That's it. what we like. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great to see you, man. I'm glad to hear you're going down to be closer to your father-in-law. That's really neat. It's important to be close to family, man, and time is so limited and so valuable, um, and the older we get, we realize that. It's been great talking to you guys. You too, buddy. Likewise, man. You take care. We'll see you down the road. Okay. Hey, Down the Road's one of my songs. Check it out. It's on Spotify. All right. You got it. <laughs> okay, bye. Take it easy. Bye. See you.